This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. It's thrilled today to be joined by the Chief Clinical Officer of the Christmas Health System. The Christmas Health System is one of the largest faith-based systems in the country and really the world. It is one of the only sort of big, big faith-based systems that has huge operations both in the United States and in Latin America. We're going to talk today to Dr. Sam Bakshi about that, about what they're seeing in COVID here and in Latin America, and a little bit more. Dr. Bakshi, can you take a moment and tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and the role of Chief Clinical Officer, and then we'll talk about Christus and Latin America and a little bit more. Sure thing. Thanks for uh, spending some time with me. I appreciate the chance to talk to you. Um, so I am uh, Chief Clinical Officer at Christus Health. I am an internal medicine hospitalist by background. Um, really, uh, at Christus, I, I have responsibility for quality, for clinical operations, for our academics and research, and really have spent a lot of time helping develop our clinical ancillary services as well, pharmacy lab and radiology. And, um, you know, as it pertains to the COVID pandemic, it's, you know, um, that's been a, a primary uh, focus over the last year. So I've got a lot of new other duties as described in my role during that um, uh, challenge. But, um, you know, I've really enjoyed being at Christus Health and working in the U.S. and Latin America. As you said, it's a really unique organization. And, and take a moment. I mean, the, the latest surge seems to have just the last couple of weeks really started to get a little bit better in Texas. But you'll give us better insight on that. And then also a lot of our audience, I'm sure, is not really familiar with what you're seeing in Latin America now with COVID-19 or other issues. Can you give us a sense of what you're seeing in Texas and Latin America currently with COVID-19? Yeah, Scott, you know, it's, it's really interesting because there's so many differences between our operations in the U.S., Mexico, Colombia, and Chile, where we operate uh, in terms of the payer models, the clinical focuses, the, the, um, the regulatory frameworks. But, but COVID has united us. It's impacted our um, facilities and operations in a very similar way. And it's been um, something that we've faced together. And so it's kind of been a unifying force. Uh, you know what they say about, um, you know, a common enemy can unite a lot of people. And so that, that's actually been something we fought together. And the surges have generally impacted our, our um, communities in a very similar way. So this most recent Delta surge um, also impacted Mexico, almost exactly the same level and uh, timing. Um, probably the only exception uh, was Chile, which is in the Southern Hemisphere and ha is, has their kind of winter season offset. So they experienced a, a, a COVID surge, a little bit, uh, a profound surge sooner than we did uh, early on. And they also were able to kind of um, get through the, their surges sooner than we are. So they've been back to normal operations or closer to normal operations for several months. I would say in Texas, we, we have seen about a 70% reduction in our um, cases from our peak uh, as we sit today in, in October. Um, and, and, you know, it, we didn't expect to see a peak quite as high as we did this late in the game with so much vaccine available. Uh, and, and that's maybe one of the areas of discordance for the U.S. We've had more vaccine faster and more widely available to all uh, groups um, in the U.S. 
Um, we've had embarrassment of, of oversupply, frankly, compared to our Latin American markets. And it, it's been really hard for us uh, to get vaccine supplies to those other, um, to our operations in other countries. But all, all being said, we've seen um, just a dramatic reduction in cases in Texas. And uh, fortunately, we've also seen that start to come down in Latin America. I guess the last thing I would say is, Christus, um, we have a lot of communities in uh, smaller markets, rural markets, and in communities that aren't necessarily urban in nature. And so, you know, those those communities have sometimes had more questions about vaccines and and more uh, skepticism about vaccines. And so we did see a, a little bit of a sustainment in our cases in in some of our markets that are more rural or or that just had lower vaccine penetration. Uh, I am very um, optimistic, though, that between people that have already gotten COVID, between our, our efforts to get more people vaccinated, and then as children become eligible for vaccinations, that um, in the U.S., we'll start to see really a more stabilization of our cases. Um, we certainly are in a much better place than we were about four, four or five weeks ago. And, and let me ask you a question about the vaccine rates in Chile, Mexico, and so forth. What are the vaccine rates like there, and can you see a big difference in results there versus here? There's just so many other factors at work that that might not be as telling as we think it should be. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll spotlight um, Chile as a, as a country that really has a strong cultural commitment to public health and vaccination. Uh, uh, it was about three presidents in a row that were literally pediatricians, and you know pediatricians uh, uh, are really committed to vaccinations and and, and generally support them. And so um, Chile did get access to vaccine pretty early. They they got um, primarily the Chinese Sinovac vaccine, and they have um, nearly universal vaccination uh, in, in Chile. So they've, they've moved uh, very quickly and, and had wide acceptance. So very little vaccine skepticism. Um, and I would contrast that, you know, to, to, to Mexico where they, Mexico kind of tracks with the U.S. in terms of the whole spectrum of different uh, mindsets on, on uh, vaccine um, use. And, and also um, some challenges with the public health infrastructure, not unlike what we've experienced here in the U.S., wh where you know some communities haven't gotten access as quickly, um, and and they may not have had, they certainly didn't early on have as much access to supply as we as we have in the U.S. And so, um, and they weren't as proactive in seeking out vaccines beyond um, sort of what's been approved in the U.S. So they didn't go for Sputnik or, um, you know, Sinovac or some of the other uh, vaccines. And so therefore they, they've not had as much supply as Chile has. So, you know, it's been really interesting to see, but um, we, we do see them catching up now. And, and as supply has been able to meet demand, we're, we're seeing our Latin American countries reach. Um, it, 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 we don't have as good a data in those, in those, in our communities there. Um, but we, we do see a much higher penetration of vaccination rates now than we did just a, a few months ago. And, and when you've got the higher vaccination rates, like in Chile, are you seeing much better results overall with COVID-19 because of the high vaccination rates, or at least partially attributed to that? Like much, you know, not as bad of hospitalizations, not as bad of illnesses and so forth. 
what's your sense of that of yeah, how I good mean, that correlation is it hasn't you know it's been interesting because that particular vaccine hasn't been as effective it, it, it's effective it's, it's it's a good vaccine it's not I think it's it's more in the 50 to 60 percent effectiveness range, whereas the mRNA vaccines, you know, have been 90 plus um, percent effective. So we still have seen um, a fair amount of hospitalizations. But um, but what we what is interesting about Chile is as people have gotten that higher level of vaccinations now um, as, as we enter their summer season, they have seen just a, a, a substantial drop off and. It's hard to know, is it the seasonality or is it the vaccine penetration and how does the effectiveness of the vaccine weigh in? But, um, we, you know, we, we did see in Chile also a lot more stringent and austere government interventions for lockdown and limitation on activities. And so that, that may have impacted their um, surge to some extent. But, um, you know, it. It didn't diverge as much as you would think, given the vaccine rates. So, you know, it kind of begs the question about vaccine effectiveness and also, um, you know, how effective were some of those lockdown uh, tactics that were implemented? Well, you know, 100 percent. And it's 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 a fascinating discussion. I mean, I think we feel pretty comfortable in the U.S. The vaccines have helped reduce hospitalizations where they've been largely taken, at least helped. And how much is always a question, but it seems no question it helps. What's fascinating for you, aside from seeing these different state-by-state -state case studies, because even here, the most vaccinated states, I mean, there's a lot of states in that middle ground of 10 to 30 right. in terms of vaccination rates, and very hard to tell significant differences whether the vaccine rates, if they're one or two percent different, really had a big difference in hospitalizations or not. And again, don't take this the wrong way. Believe everybody should get vaccinated ASAP, 100%, right. and and completely agree with that. But it is fascinating to study, like what these differences are, what drives those differences. Because you've had this, you have this great lens on it. Because you're not just operating in the U.S., you're also seeing it in different countries too, where vaccination vaccination rates and and public health measures have been somewhat different than in different places. Yeah, you know, I have, we have, and but what still comes back to us is what's been amazing is how universal COVID has been for everybody in general. And despite some of the differences in vaccines and vaccine rates, it's been a very universal experience, including the terrible effect that uh, COVID has had on non-COVID care, you know, all the things, all the delayed and deferred care that um, has been um, uh, forestalled. That, that's an issue for all of our communities. And, and we see right on the heels of a surge, you know, a, a big uptick in non-COVID care and delayed and deferred care. And, and you know, that's, that's also been universal across our, all of our regions and all the countries we serve. So it's been, it's been fascinating. I, you know, it, it really has brought our, our teams together in terms of what we face. Um, some of the same things that we've had in terms of labor shortages have been the same experiences, even more so in Latin America, because some of the government interventions in Mexico and Chile, for instance, where you know certain high-risk groups weren't allowed to work, um, they were forced to go on to a paid leave uh, scenario um, for their protection. So th those are really you know uh, substantial government interventions that that we haven't done in the United States. So that but that's exacerbated our labor uh, shortage. Um, but the labor shortage, as you know, in the U.S. is profound. So it, it, it's it's really interesting how defined this has been for our, our organization. And, you know, 
despite how challenging it's been. And, and let, let me ask you a question. Because you, you've had the hospitalization rate in Texas has gone down 70% in the last 45 to 50 days or so, something like that. And, and throughout yeah. the country, it's gone down from 100,000 hospitalized to 56,000 hospitalized. Can you almost feel an audible sigh of relief from the workforce and people, or are they so, you know, been beaten up by this that they are very weary or battle weary as you have a surge go down? That oh my God, the surge has gone down, but another's coming. What's the, what's the attitude of people that you see as the surges, you know, surge, you know, goes way up and then goes way down, and it almost feels like oh my God, it's a breath of fresh air. But how do people view that? Well, I think battle weary is a good uh, term. But I do see our, our team and our leaders and our workforce becoming more optimistic. So it's a, it's a combo. The reason I'd say battle weary is that we thought maybe the worst surge we'd experienced was over the winter. And actually, from a magnitude perspective, for Christus, uh, we had more hospitalized patients here this summer at our peak. Um, we had uh, more than 1,750 inpatients in our U.S. operations. Um, in, in July and August um, compared to about 1,500, 1,600 um, in, in January. So, you know, when we thought you might get, you got the vaccine and you could start to, you know, have the sigh of relief, we had a worse surge. So, so I think on the other hand, we know that more people are vaccinated, more people have natural immunity, and um, that, that it's unlikely that we'll have another surge of the same magnitude. I'm knocking on wood as I say that. So we're optimistic that as we will have regional upticks uh, based on social activities like Thanksgiving or uh, the winter months, we don't, you know, we don't expect that same magnitude. And part of the challenge with it was how fast it went up. I mean, the acceleration was even faster with Delta. Um, and so that that's what's really scary to people is just the rapid um, uptick of cases and admissions. And, um, you know, the things that we're looking at is as long as the kids get vaccinated, that increases our total vaccination rates. And then as long as we don't see another variant emerge, you know, that's kind of the X factor. If another variant emerges. The kids being vaccinated is ultimately very important because the kids will be all in school together, all congregating together. They start getting sick. They all get sick, and they bring them to their families, stuff like that. So the kids being vaccinated, you can't understate the importance of that, can you? No, you can't. It, it really is important that we take that next step just to kind of break the chain of transmission. Even though, you know, kids have generally done well with it. You know, we certainly saw more kids hospitalized, but not large magnitudes of children. Um, you know, in this Delta surge, what we what we also know is they're the most likely to be masked at school, mask compliant. Um, and and so as that wanes, as that masking and social uh, distancing and, and uh, social uh, intervention starts to wane, and what happens during you know uh, holidays and other things is that people don't do those things with their families and friends who they trust. Um, the more of those kids that are vaccinated uh, going into the holiday and winter seasons, I think the the, the better chance we have that that we can um, move away from these large uh, surges of cases. So. Again, it may not be the kids; it may be the people they interact with um, that, that that end up um, having the cases. What what we've seen, and more often uh, up until now, was parents would get infected and bring it back home to kids. But now that kids are back in school, the more traditional scenario is the kids will bring it back to the to the family. Uh, you know, and so that's what we want to definitely be mitigating with uh, with those younger kids getting vaccinated.
And, and, and let me ask you this question, the Thanksgiving question and so forth. You mentioned, you know, people that they trust with people they trust. Now, in, in our family, of course, we've got the, the, the far left folks and the far right folks. <laughs> how, do I keep, how do I keep them under control at the Thanksgiving dinner table? Do we just avoid political speaking? Do we just stay away from it? What do we do there? It's always good to avoid politics at the dinner table, right? And uh, I think there's no better season. Uh, to avoid politics at the dinner table than Thanksgiving this year. Um, so I think that's a safety measure <laughs> in and of itself, just to avoid fistfights, let, let alone COVID. Um, but, you know, I, I just, I try to get people thinking out about outdoor activities and that helps neutralize any concerns. Um, I know it's hard to have a meal with family and, and be masked. So I think the more people that are vaccinated, the less uh, need for masks. Uh, you know, that you would have. And, and, and especially with that, that there's that contention on that issue. Hopefully, um, hope we can mitigate that. But yeah, stay out of the politics at, at Thanksgiving. And I think it'll be a better, better holiday. Probably good for public health. It's probably good, good public yeah, health advice. Good for everything. <laughs> it really is. Dr. Ratchet, I got to tell you, it is always a pleasure to visit with you. Can't wait to get you back on. You're such a level-headed, centered speaker and just a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for joining us again on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. What a pleasure. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for everything you do for uh, healthcare. I really appreciate it.